come back at 1 p.m. today as we have another worship service. Very grateful for the songs that we've been privileged to sing together, the prayer that has been offered, the opportunity to reflect upon the death of Jesus on Calvary through the Lord's Supper. We want to look today at a couple of passages of Scripture by way of studying the Word of God together. We're going to be looking at Judges chapter 2 in connection with Romans chapter 1. And so I invite you to be looking at those verses with me in just a moment or two. I do want to say thank you to all of you who are visiting today. We encourage you to come back. Very grateful for the number of visitors that come our way week to week. We're always thankful to have you with us. And if you're looking for a church home, we would love to have you. I know that we're in the middle of summer. And sadly for some, summertime's coming to a close with the beginning of school. Hard to believe it's here again. And I guess if you are in school, probably hard for you to believe as well. But we wish you the very best in the coming new year. Let's look today at what the Bible has to say about idolatry. Whether we realize it or not, there is a real danger in the world in which we live as it relates to what I would call modern-day idolatry. Idolatry has been a thorn in the side of God's people throughout time. As a matter of fact, you can go back and read the record in Judges chapter 2. And you remember the Bible tells us that the children of Israel, they were faithful during the days of Joshua. They were faithful during the days of the elders who outlived Joshua. But then the Bible says another generation arose that knew not the Lord nor yet the great works which He had done in Israel. And then in verse 11 the Bible says that the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. And they served the Baals. They forsook the God of their fathers who brought them out of Egypt. And they became enamored with the gods of the people that were living around them. And the Bible says in verse 12 that they bowed down to them and provoked the Lord to anger. You remember, for example, Hosea the prophet. In writing to the northern kingdom in Hosea chapter 4 at verse 17, the prophet said, Ephraim is joined to idols. Let him alone. In the book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah said in chapter 1 at verse 16 that God's people were burning incense to other gods and worshiping the works of their own hands. And then, of course, in 1 John chapter 5, John the Apostle, writing to Christians in the first century, warns about the dangers of idolatry to the church. And so he would say, little children... Keep yourselves from idols. An idol would be anything that stands between us and a preeminent God. Anything that would supplant God, that would ultimately equate to idolatry. So what I want to do in our study today, first of all, let's talk about the repudiation of the Creator. And I want to begin by asking a question. Why is it that people today, why is it that people today reject the Creator and become idolatrous? I think there are a couple of reasons. The first would go back to the book of Judges again. 
And you remember the writer there talked about the faithfulness of the children of Israel. But then there was a third generation that came on the scene that did not know the Lord nor yet the great works which He had done in Israel. So the, again, the question might be asked, what happened? The children of Israel failed to teach and instruct their offspring. You remember Moses said back in Deuteronomy chapter 4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and might. These words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. And the idea is that God's Word was to permeate the home because God wanted His people to know Him and to know His Word. Now there are, sadly are a lot of folks in our world today that know little or nothing about the God of heaven. One of the real reasons is because parents and grandparents have failed to talk about the Creator, the God of heaven. We live in a day and time when pluralism reigns supreme. You remember when the Apostle Paul entered the city of Athens. The Bible says in verse 16 of Acts chapter 17 that his spirit was stirred within him. In other words, he became exasperated. He burned with anger. Why? Because he saw that the whole city was given over to idolatry. So you had what we might call today the culturally elite, the intellectuals of that day and time. And they had embraced a number of pagan idols. So Paul, in an effort to correct that, declared to them the one true living God pointing out that God is the one who is the giver of all life, breath, and all things. He would say it's in Him that we live and move and have our very being. In other words, we are the products of Almighty God. But here were people that were skewed in their understanding of the nature of God. And so they were worshiping the works of their own hands. There are young people in our society today that quite frankly know nothing about the God of the Bible. And some within the Lord's church have not been taught about the one true God. And so the idea that we can just embrace any number of quote-unquote idols or gods, that's not foreign in this day and time. And yet Paul would say that we're to rear our children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. So there's a failure to teach, and then secondly, there is what I would call false teaching. There's a narrative that has been spun in society today. The narrative is that God is not the creator of the universe. The narrative is that there is no one true living God. I mentioned a moment ago the Apostle Paul trying to counter that idea among those who lived in Athens. 
And it wasn't just Athens, but also you can turn over and read about the people in Corinth. Idolatry reigned supreme in that day and time. There were Roman Caesars that wanted to be addressed as Lord and God. They had elevated themselves to a position of what they would call deity. If you watch any television for an extended period of time, it's amazing how evolution is taught not as a theory, but as fact. Now, it's been a while since I've sat in a classroom, but I do know that there are any number of classrooms across our country, really we could say globally, that are purging young people, young minds of the idea that there's a God who created the world. And so this rampant teaching that is ongoing in our society today it's really what I would call brainwa- the brainwashing of America. So one of the reasons why we as a nation of people have become bankrupt spiritually is that we have failed to accept what the Bible has to say about the God of heaven. Now I want you to just think for a moment or two about, we talk about this repudiation of the Creator. But let me just talk for a moment or two about the alteration of the Creator. And I want to talk for a moment or two about People who reject God, the Creator. Reject the God of heaven. And you ask the question, how could that happen? How is it that people in this day, and we talk about an enlightened society, a society that is well-educated, and yet in many ways we've gone backward in our understanding of right and wrong and of truth and error. There are people today that deny the evidence for God, don't they? Now there are two ways that we can know that there is a God. The first would be by creation. Now you remember Paul in Romans chapter 1 said, For since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead. Now listen to what he says. And although they knew God, they glorified Him not as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thinking, their foolish hearts being darkened. Then he goes on to say, professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. That doesn't take an Einstein to realize that somebody created this world. If I got on national television and said that this building just appeared, people would look at me like I'm crazy, and that would be the case, wouldn't it? Why is it we can see there has to be design and a designer when it comes to the material things of life? Somebody made these pews. Somebody designed and made this building. Somebody made this podium. Well, what about the world in which we live? You're trying to tell me that this world just evolved over time? Or that something produces, or that nothing produces something? The Hebrew writer said, Every house is built by some man. He who built all things is God. Listen to David. David was a shepherd boy. 
And David didn't have access to the technology that we have today. He didn't have telescopes. He didn't have the opportunity to explore space, as we say. But let me tell you what, it was David who said, the heavens declare the glory of God. The firmament shows His handiwork. Can I know that there is a God? You better believe it. Why? Because I have evidence. Now there are those who are quote-unquote intellectual. And what they want to say is, well, you know what? All of this just evolved over time. There was a man who lived some time back, a fellow by the name of Carl Sagan. And he was a renowned atheist or agnostic. Sagan admitted that the possibility of evolution was remote. And yet people buy it as fact, don't they? Young people are taught in school, this is a fact. I don't buy it at all. False to the core, isn't it? So, number one, people reject God the Creator. But then, secondly, how can I know there's a God? Creation, revelation. How do you explain this book that we call the Bible? You ever thought about that? Now look at all the books that have been written down through time. And there are some literary masterpieces without question. Books have been penned by very famous and articulate men and women. And we have been blessed in many ways by those who have written about various, various sectors of life. But what about this book? This is the book of all books, isn't it? I mean, this book was penned over a period of 1,500 years by about 40 different writers. Now, you need to understand that holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. These were ordinary men used by Almighty God to record His book that we call the Bible. So every single book, 39 books in the Old Testament, 27 books in the New Testament. Those books go together hand in glove, don't they? One grand theme, one grand system of redemption. Now go back and read what the writers in the Old Testament had to say and all those prophecies. Every single prophecy about the Christ was fulfilled. How'd that happen? And how'd they know about that? Now, can you imagine over a period of 1,500 years assembling 40 different writers from varying backgrounds, varying trades in life, and telling them to write something, and then over that period of time, everything that they wrote just harmonized and came together as one unit, one body. Not a chance in this world. Paul said all Scripture is given by the inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine or teaching, reproof, correction, and instruction. Why? That the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. You know, the Bible is not intended to be a book about medical science. But everything that it says about medicine is true, isn't it? The book is... The book or this book that we call the Bible 
It's not a book that has been penned about geography per se, but everything that it says about geography is true. It's not necessarily penned as a historical treatise, but everything that it says about history is true, isn't it? I mentioned a moment ago the telescope. Now can you imagine Isaiah writing seven centuries before the coming of Christ and talking about the circle of the earth? How did he know that? How did he know that the world, the globe that we live upon, was circular? Do you have a telescope? Maybe he went into space and saw it. No. How did he know that? He knew it because he was an inspired man. Now, there are people today that reject the evidence. Well, what's the evidence? Creation, revelation. Before people wave off this book, it might be a good thing to go back and to reinvestigate or to investigate. You know, there are a lot of people that have a lot of bad things to say about Scripture. And they want to just down it every chance they get. Well, you need to read it and investigate it and study it. It might be the case that what you come to the conclusion is that this book is right and you've been wrong. Now, when people reject the evidence for God, what happens? They redefine God. In other words, they alter Him to fit their own image of what they think God ought to be. Now, we live in a day and time. The culturally enlightened, I don't know how many universities we have in this country, but we've got a lot of schools of learning, don't we? A lot of intelligent people. People that have spent many, many hours reading and studying certain sciences of life. But let me tell you what, if you reject God the Creator, you will replace Him with something or someone. If you reject God the Creator, you will redefine a God to your own liking or to your own pleasing. We live in a day and time, as I mentioned a moment ago in 1 John chapter 5, Bear in mind that John is writing to the Christians in the first century. And John said, little children, keep yourselves from idols. Now we may not have, quote unquote, idols made from stone, metal and iron, or artwork by man's own devising, as Paul would say in Acts 17. Oh, but we have our idols. Anything that would encroach upon our spiritual life Anything that would come between us and God, we could say, we could conclude, is idolatry. How many people in our world today are fascinated by power? I mean, they're after power, aren't they? Not just young folks, but older people as well. Power can become insatiable, can it not? In other words, you just can't have enough. Imagine like Solomon in the long ago, who was the king over the United Kingdom, and all the benefits that came with that. Why do you think a number of people today are interested in public office? Power. 
Why is it that there are people in our world today that are trying to climb the corporate ladder? You know, at some point in time, it's all about power. They want to be the man or woman in charge. Power is intoxicating. The more you have, the more you want. Then we live in a day and time when people have become so preoccupied by the pleasures and pursuits of life. We've forgotten about God. You know, we're quickly coming around to football season. In the South, the SEC is God. Did you know that billions of dollars are generated by athletics? Maybe you knew that, maybe you didn't. College football, the Power Five, generates about $3 billion per year. Do we have members of the church that know more about their football team and they can quote every single statistic and they keep up with them religiously, but when it comes to the Bible, don't know anything about it? Couldn't tell you a thing about what the Word of God has to say. Are there people like that? Sure there are. There are a lot of folks that will spend their hard-earned money to sit on a hard bench on Saturday. Why? Because they love their team, and they won't miss it. The NFL generates $13 billion a year. The NBA, $10 billion a year. Now look, I've been to college football games. I've been to college basketball games. I've been to see the NFL and the NBA. I've enjoyed it, but that's not my God. And the fact of the matter is, there are people in our country, around the world, that have elevated athletics to the point that it's become their God. Just track over the course of the year how much time and money is spent by hardworking people to support their team. And we talk about paying these guys outrageous amounts of money. You're telling me that a coach is worth $10 million a year? That's what, that's what people are being paid today. That a guy playing football, baseball, basketball, worth $30, $40, $50 million a year, that's what they're paying. Why? Because of money. The driving force behind it all is money. That's it. And sadly, sometimes in the church, we bought into it. And we've allowed athletics to supplant what's really important in life. There are mamas and daddies all across our country this morning. You know where they are? They're not in worship. They're on the ball field. They're playing ball. Why? Because they love it. They want to support their son, their daughter. Anything wrong with athletics? Anything wrong with encouraging our children to participate in sports? Absolutely not. But let me tell you what. When we allow them to miss worship and Bible study, to play in sports, we're messing up. The message we're sending to our children is, this is what's important. You know I'm right. You know it. 
Now, we got faithful members of the body of Christ that are sacrificing their children on the, off, on the altar of athletics. And then when they become an adult and they have no faith and we wonder what happened, I can tell you what happened. We instilled within them what was really important to them. Athletics. I went to school with a fella. Great baseball player. Played junior college and then played for Ole Miss. All SEC shortstop. Led the nation in one category in batting. Drafted. Made it to about AAA and then hurt his knee. Was done. Had a son. Son became a shortstop for the University of Tennessee. The son was an outstanding player. Guess what happened to him? Same thing. Hurt his knee after getting into minor league baseball. Never made it to the majors. Now look, I under, there's nothing wrong with becoming a college athlete or a professional athlete. I'm all for it. If you can do it, great. But we can't, we cannot afford to sacrifice our children for something that in a period of time will be gone forever. So what's most important? Talk about academics. We have folks in the church that put more emphasis on science, math, history, calculus, and studying God's Word. Well, let me tell you what, your child can go to heaven without having a college degree. They don't have to become a medical doctor, nor do they need to be a lawyer or some CEO president. But they can't go to heaven if they're not a Christian. They can't and they won't go to heaven if they're not a child of God. Academics is wonderful. I'm grateful for higher learning. I'm grateful to have had the opportunity to go to college. But Paul said, professing themselves to be wise, they became what? Fools. They changed the glory of the incorruptible God into the image of, the, of corruptible man, birds, creeping things, and four-footed beasts. Paul would go on to say, they exchanged the truth of God for a lie, worshiped and served the creature rather than the Creator. What happened? Ignored God. You remember Paul went on to say they refused to retain God in their knowledge. What did he do? Gave them up to do those things which are not fitting. They had a depraved mind. The mind's going to be filled with something. Paul said it like this, there are people who are lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. A lot of things we enjoy in life. Paul, Paul, no doubt, had things that he enjoyed doing in life. But God has to be supreme, doesn't he? You remember Solomon in Ecclesiastes chapter 2? Solomon said he did not withhold his heart from any pleasure. Solomon immersed himself in the pleasures of life. Let me just add this. We've become preoccupied with self, haven't we? 
Did you know that globally speaking, over $140 billion is spent every year on skin care? Nothing wrong with trying to have good skin. Nothing wrong with cosmetics and beauty treatments and things like that. You'd be amazed at how much money is spent in our country on surgical and non-surgical cosmetic surgery. About $15 billion a year. You know what that says? The emphasis in life is not on the inner man, but on the outward man. Now, do we want to look good? Sure we do. We want to look our best, don't we? Anything wrong with trying to look good? Take care of your body? No. But if we allow this body, this temple to become the God? I was at the gym not long ago. It's been a while. And every now and then you'll see somebody, they'll be dragging a camera around in the gym. Sometimes somebody will come up to you and say, will you take a picture of me while I engage in this particular part of the workout? Bench press, squat, whatever. Now look, there's not anything wrong with doing that, but really? I mean, really? I mean, do we have to post it to show people how in shape we are? Look, we've got some folks, they are in love with their body. And they want to show the world what they look like. Look, nothing wrong with being proud of how you look. But we've taken it to another level. It's all about, look at me. Look at how I look. Let me tell you, nothing wrong with taking care of your body. I'm, I'm grateful for people that do. But you don't need to lose sight of what's really important. Paul said, godly exercise is what you need to be concerned about. Bodily exercise profits a little. So again, these are some of the areas that we face, some of the problems that we face in this country. What about prosperity? People today worried about materialism and money. The almighty dollar a desire to have more and more and more? What was it Jesus said? Take heed and beware of covetousness. A man's life consists not in the abundance of the things he possesses. That's not how we think in America, is it? No, we think differently than that, don't we? It's about what I have, my status in life. Look at me and what I have and what I've acquired over time and look at my position in life how much power I weld. Look at the beautiful home that I live in and how nicely furnished it is. And watch as I drive around in my fancy automobile. Look, I'm not against any of those things. Nothing wrong with any of that. But if those things obstruct our worship of the one true living God, we have a real problem. Paul said, those who are minded to be rich fall into a temptation and snare and many foolish and hurtful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil which some men having striven after have pierced themselves through with many sorrows and been led astray from the faith. Let me tell you what, money and materialism can choke the life out of your spiritual relationship to Almighty God. That's why Jesus said, don't lay up for yourselves treasures on heaven. Lay them up, rather don't lay them up on earth, but rather lay them up in heaven. 
That's why Paul would write and say, set your affection on things above and not on things which are upon this earth. Is it possible that we've become so comfortable in this world and with the luxuries and the things that we enjoy, we're not interested in heaven anymore? Let's just be honest. We've got it too good here. Why would we want to go to heaven? I mean, why would we want to sacrifice and serve the Lord? We don't need Him. We don't have to serve Him. i got everything I need. Isn't that, isn't that the attitude of people today? Try to talk to them about God, not interested. Why? Why would I need Him? Let me tell you what, there will come a day, whether you realize it or not, you will need God. And you need Him now. And it might be that you're listening but not listening today. And it might be the case that you know that what I'm saying is exactly right. You're just not ready to buy right now what I'm selling. Well, that's okay. You can make that choice. But I can tell you this. There are a lot of folks that are in eternity right now. They bought into what the devil was selling. And he is the God of this age. They bought in. And they're not going to make it to heaven. Oh, they're in the Hadean realm, but they're not where they want to be. So my question to us, is God really the focal point of life? See the hub. Think about a pie. The pie represents the entirety of the Christian life. What happens sometimes is we want to cut a little slice off, put that on a plate, and give that to God. It won't work. God's not interested in piecemeal Christianity. He has no desire to be a part of your life. But rather, He wants to be the entirety of your life. And if you miss that, my friend, you miss everything. Solomon was right. Fear God, keep His commandments. Why? This is man's all. We've missed the all. Here's what Jesus said. What shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Just keep acting like you act, keep doing what you're doing, keep thinking like you think, and I can tell you this, you'll be in trouble when that final day comes. Now, I don't think anybody willfully wants to trade his or her soul for the world, but quite possibly, subconsciously, that's what we're doing. My encouragement to us is to put God first. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. If for whatever reason our life is out of harmony, off the tracks, we have the time, the opportunity as we speak to get back on track. If you're not a Christian, today's the day. Not tomorrow, not next month, not next year. Today is the day. That's what Paul said. Today's the day of salvation. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 2. If you're here and you haven't obeyed the gospel, what would keep you from doing that? I know you believe Jesus is the Son of God. You wouldn't be here. 
I know that you're willing to repent of your... I know that the Bible says we must be willing to repent of sins and confess His name, to be baptized into Christ so that we can enjoy a relationship with God. I know that's what the Bible teaches, but the question is, have you done that? If you're here today and you're not a member of the body of Christ, I encourage you to come to Christ. If you're a member of the body of Christ and for whatever reason something stands between you and God, whatever that something might be, I encourage you, remember what John said, keep yourselves from idols. Come back before it's too late. We'd be happy to pray with you and for you as we stand and sing.